Blog Talk Radio. on Blog Talk Radio. I'm here as always with the one and only Cole Fault. Hello. How's it going today, Cole? Oh, great. I slept in my contacts on accident last night. <laughs> Other than that, it's going pretty good. Hey, all right. Hey, you know, we've got a great show in front of us as always. We've got a lot to talk about. It is NBA All-Star Weekend. And we're going to have a lot of conversation about the NBA today later in the show. Uh, Cole, I know you're pretty excited about that, being our basketball guy. Yeah, I like basketball. A lot of stuff to talk about today with that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to dive into that later in the show. But we're right in the middle of our Coach and Cole Greatest Quarterback of All Time Listeners Tournament. Mm -hmm. And we will announce, we're going to announce the winners of that. Uh, the Sweet 16 matchups later on the show. But those matchups really got a lot of people talking and sparked a lot of conversation across our social media sites. Um, We had, you know, just a ton of votes flooding in on that. And one matchup in particular got more attention than others. And that matchup happened to be Super Bowl 51 champion Tom Brady against the man with the golden arm, Johnny Unitas. And it nearly had double of all the other votes of all the other matchups. And so that was kind of ex- exciting to to see those come in and see the conversation across, especially on Twitter that we were getting with that. And and that brings us to today's guest, Cole. And, and that guest is the son of Johnny U, Johnny Nitus Jr., who we're really excited to have on the show. And so we're going to bring him on here in just a couple minutes. Uh, But before we do that, I just want to remind everyone that you can catch us on demand on iTunes and on TuneIn after our live broadcast. Please subscribe to us on whichever format you listen to us here on Blog Talk Radio. And so without further ado, uh, let's bring on our Blog Talk Radio guest of the day, and that's John Unitas Jr. Can you hear us, John? I can. Thank you very much, Cole and Nick. Appreciate, Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We're glad you could join us today. And, and John, let's dive right into this here with, sure. with Super Bowl 51 just ending and Tom Brady getting his fifth ring. There's so much talk about who the greatest quarterback of all time is. And, and right now we're running a contest where fans can vote on who they think was the greatest in, in a head-to-head tournament, sort of like a March Madness-style uh, bracket. And, and you actually submitted your vote in our contest that actually pins your dad against Tom. And I think everyone knows who you voted for. But <laughs> if, some were, if somebody were to ask you just how good your dad was, you know, how would you go about explaining that? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I, I guess, first of all, um, that was my father's life. Um, he, he, uh, he loved practice. And uh, as, a, as a consequence, uh, uh, in my eyes, became the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, he devoted his life and, and uh, to that sport. Um, he, he 
worked his his tail off, and he wasn't a big man by by any imagination. He's 195, um, six foot one, um, very very strong character. Um, loved the game of football um, since since he was a child, and um, you know grew up in a in a area of Pittsburgh that was rough and tough, and, and um, as he was, um, and. Uh, you know, he <clears throat> played at a school called St. Justin's, which is a Catholic high school in a B division in western Pennsylvania. Um, and then, of course, wasn't really recognized uh, from that school to scholarships to college. So he ended up uh, um, working his tail off and, and got into the University of Louisville and, um, you know, went down there and, and, and did his thing down there and, and uh, with a program that was, you know, it's not like it was a Notre Dame, although that's where my father wanted to go. Um, but... Um, uh, he was just uh, he was just a skinny guy, <laughs> and they thought they would they would they would cream him and get he would get hurt at Notre Dame in, in that division and, and so forth. So, um, you know, my father really worked at his craft. Um, he he knew the game uh, inside and out. Uh, he he always called his plays. Um, he worked with his players around him: the Jimmy Ors, the John Mackeys, the Raymond Berries, and and the like. And and uh, you know you got you got to look at football in, in two two ways in a sense that you look at the Tom Brady era and you look at my father's era. Um, they're just two different animals. You know, you, you, people try to compare. You just can't, I don't think. Um, yeah, Tom's a great quarterback. I, I wish the Falcons would have won though, by the way, um, just so you know, Matt Ryan, Matt, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan was, Matt Ryan was, uh, you know, one of my golden arm winners. He was the golden arm winner in 2007. So I always pull for my guys, but anyhow, needless to say, um, that's that's another story to itself. But but again, getting back to my father, I just say my father was was worked at his craft. He was dedicated to his craft. Um, he 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 you know um, practiced with his players not only during practice but but outside of practice. You know uh, you know before they you know everybody went home for dinner. My father was still out on the field with Raymond and and John Mackey and some of the you know running backs and so forth, just running their plays. And so as a result, they were they were very good at what they did, and they knew ex- exactly the tendencies of each other. So they, you know, my father knew, for example, if Weeb Eubank would have sent a play into the huddle and my father and, and Raymond didn't work on it, which was very, very rare, um, Raymond, my father would call the play and Raymond would say, John, we're not going to run that play because we haven't worked on it. And, and my father just called another play in the huddle. You know, of course, got his hand, head handed to him when he got off out, out of the sidelines. You know, we've said, why didn't you call that play? Cause, well, because Raymond didn't feel comfortable. He didn't work on it. And so we didn't call. He says, okay, no problem. You know, and that's how they did it back then. But but today, try to, try to do that today, you know, because none of these guys call their own plays, you know, uh, for the most part. Um, but, but Dad, you know, every Tuesday or Monday after the game, he'd be down there looking at film for the next upcoming opponent. And as a child, we grew up down in the basement with my father watching film. We'd sit on his lap, and the projector, 16-millimeter projector, um, had a had a forward and a reverse button, no stop. So it would be forward, reverse. So I'd just sit there in my father's lap. He'd take his notes, his playbook in front of him, and he goes, forward. i run it forward. And he says, stop. He'd go reverse and back and forth all you know for hours on end. This was after dinner every, every night. So so these guys really worked at their craft. And, and uh, it's just a different era. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to say my father was tougher than, than anybody else, but he had a high threshold of pain. Um, you know, they wore suspension helmets. The equipment wasn't even, it's not even close to what it is today. Um, and, and these guys got their butts handed to them every time. They didn't protect the quarterback back then. <laughs> so so um, right, dad right. lasted 18 years in the league and multiple injuries, of course. But, um, 
you know, he played. He played, and they, and they loved it. And they, and they had to work in the off season, by the way, too, because they didn't make that much money. Uh, my father was a pile driver for for Bethlehem Steel here in Maryland, um, so he worked in the steel mill. And my mom packed his lunch every day, like she packed ours when we went to school. So that's that's just wow, how it you was know, back that, then. That's yeah, that's something that a lot of people you know don't really know about or understand that you know those guys back then they had regular jobs. Oh yeah, had to. Yeah, you know, my, there are four children, five children in my family. You know, how how my father's going to feed them on a on a you know thirty thousand dollar salary of football? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I knew I knew that people had, you know, players had normal jobs like NBA, NFL. They had they had that normal jobs, but I figured Johnny Unitas didn't. I mean, I no, just he didn't was a, do that. Yeah, he he was a salesman and um, you know did pile driving for the Bethlehem Steel. Then went to sell sales cardboard boxes and things of that nature. And he was in the electronics business selling printed circuit boards and. Um, oh yeah, he, and he and he loved work. You know, um, there wasn't a time if if he's not working, he's on the tractor cutting grass, and he loved to cut the grass too. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, That's just crazy. like you said, just a, a different era, different era for sure. Yeah, it, it really yeah. is. You know, I mean, the guys today are bigger, they're stronger. You know, I mean, for example, I mean, I, my my summer camps were spent at Western Maryland College as a ball boy for the Colts, and and I had the top bunk that was on the bottom bunk, Jimmy Orr and Raymond Berry in the dorms next door, and. Um, you know, these guys would smoke cigarettes, not, not my father, for for example, but a lot of the other guys, you know, would smoke cigarettes and drink beers. And, you know, you go to, to the, you know, as a kid, you just run around these rooms and seeing everything. You have playboys in the in the room, you know. And I grew up really quick <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're smoking cigarette camel knot filters, you know, and, and, and they go play football. And if they had an ingrown toenail or a busted up arm, they still play. Not, not like today. It's just not like today at all. But I would tell you as well, the food back then, if you can imagine growing up in the in the 60s, you know, you had cream spinach, you know, all the cold cuts, mortadella, salami sandwich. This, this is this is what they ate. <laughs> These guys ate. So the nutrition <laughs> factor was, was absolutely horrible. You wonder why they they, they, they even lasted till 69 years old, you know, with all the crap they right. ate. But it, yeah, it's just it's just totally different. You know, it's a totally different atmosphere, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Really you, you kind of mentioned about, uh, you know, how your your father wanted to go to Notre Dame. He ended up at Louisville. And a lot of people don't know that he was actually drafted by Pittsburgh and was let go. Do you think Correct. that, you know, the fact that he wanted to go to Notre Dame, ended up at Louisville, was drafted in the NFL, his his dream, but was ended up let go. Do you think that, that gave him a little bit of a chip on his shoulder? Uh. You know, I don't. I don't really think so. I mean, Dad really never carried a chip on his shoulder at all. He just loved it. He, he was just. He was all about reality. And the, the story behind that is, is he got drafted in the ninth round by Pittsburgh. He goes to camp, and, and there's four quarterbacks there. There's Jimmy Finks, there's Vic Eaton, um, and uh, Ted Marchabroda, and my father. Okay, and my father just didn't get an opportunity to play. You know, with this other three guys, those other guys had proven themselves. You know, here my father comes from a small little college in Louisville, Kentucky, and but he didn't get an opportunity to play. Now, as a result of that, they cut him. And and there's a story, and I and I cover this in my book, that that you know my father was given ten dollars, the cut and given ten dollars, and my father hitchhiked home, and he used the ten dollars to buy my mother Dorothy popsicles because she loved popsicles. And so when she got he he got home, he had the popsicles for it and everything else. And and my my father says, ah, eh, that's that's I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to go bowling and everything like this. And and so, so my fa- my mother says, no, you're not. You're going to stick this out. 
my mother was strong, man. She was she was the rock. Uh, and uh, so she she made she made my father continue to pursue his career when he said, "Nah, just go drive a truck or whatever thing." So when he got a, when she got a call, and again I cover this in my book, she got a call from Don Kellett when George Shaw got hurt for the Colts, and uh, so they they wanted to pick up my father, and so they called. My mother was home, and she took the call and said, "Yep, John will be there. You know, just you know whatever. So send the contract." Well. Nobody knows this, but my mother was the my mother was the one that signed the contract for my father. <laughs> oh wow! So, it, so from that point on, my father was there. You know, no more bowling. You know, my mother made him stick it out and his love for the game, and that's what it was. You know, that's how it was back then. You know, there's no story. Wow. Yeah, she. Yeah, my daughter. My mother. We called her Goldilocks, but uh, she was uh, my father's high school sweetheart. She was a cheerleader at St. Justin's with my with my uh, my dad was playing and. Um, they all grew up in you know the South Hills of Western Kentucky and Pittsburgh, and I, my sister and I, Janice, were, were born in Pittsburgh, and then we, we moved to Baltimore when my father got uh, picked up by the Colts, and you know when George Shaw got hurt, my father went in. That kind of like that's history. So that's where it all began. Wow, that's that's, that that's so a great cool. story. Yeah, and again, I, I cover a lot of that in my book, uh, Johnny, You and Me, the Man Behind the Golden Arm, and and the. Uh, which was very cathartic for me writing that book, but uh, it took me three years to do it and interviewed over a hundred some people. And for the book, you know, my father's sister and my, my father's brothers—they're all still alive. Um, they've never been interviewed before, so there's some good stuff in there. It's not really a truly a football book. It's about really me growing up with my father, you know, and, and um, as a child and what it was like being John Jr. You know, we we grew up in an area of of, of Campus Hills in in, ba- in Baltimore, in, in the county. Um, and it was a carefree life, man. You could take your skateboard and bike out and just ride around. And, you know, today, you know, everybody's calling you on the cell phone. You'll be home for dinner. Where, where are you? You know, none of that happened back then. <laughs> it's like we, we just eventually showed up at home, you know, and your parents say, oh, I'm glad you're home. <laughs> so it's just a different time, man. And it was the same with the football players, you know. And these guys were dedicated, man. Now, I tell you, they, they were all very, very close. The Baltimore Colts teams were very close. And Carol Rosenblum, the owner at the time, um, kept it that way. You know, he believed in that. You know, he'd come over for Thanksgiving with baskets of, you know, food and turkeys and stuff. Every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, I mean, he was there. That's how these guys were. Now, now I'm not saying that they're not that way today. They probably are. But I probably, they're probably more more into their own lives than they are way back when, when we were around. So there's so much, think, there's so much going on. I think if, with social media and everything, I feel like we'd be able to see more of that stuff happening. And I kind of agree with you. I don't, I don't know if all that stuff is happening nowadays because I feel like we'd be able to see it. Yeah, I, I would think so too. But, but then again, you know, the, I don't know if social media is a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes it depends. It depends who's, right. who's tweeting, you know, I mean, what they're saying. <laughs> some of the, some of the stuff yeah, I exactly. see is amazing to me. I mean, what are you doing? Are you, are you crazy? So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, we, we talked about these different eras and, and, and let's, let's go back, uh, John, let's sure. go back and talk about, uh, 1958, the greatest game ever played. And, and I'm I sure you covered this old. in your book. Two years old back then. So yeah. It, and, and the game was played at the most famous ballpark in America, Yankee stadium. It was right. the first nationally televised game. It was the first right. ever playoff game to go into overtime. Uh, Peter King of Sports Illustrated calls it the coming out party for Johnny Unitas. Do you do you have any stories about that game from your father, and, and what do you remember him talking about that game? 
Well, you know, we, well, my father and I talked about a lot of stuff and, and uh, during the course of his life, and, and um, you know, that game he just didn't really harp on it too much. My father was was all about winning, you know, and and they had a great team back then. Um, and my father wasn't one for you know field goals. It's got to got to score a touchdown. And I think if you look back <laughs> upon my father's career, my father passed the ball more than any other quarterback. You know, he reached the forty thousand yards faster than quicker than any other quarterback. And and that's was it. That was his his mantra was to throw the ball and, and score touchdowns, whether it's five or seven yards here or, or a long bomb. Um, if you look back on, on history, there's a lot of teams back then that just handed the ball off. Um, but at that game, you know, my father was. They were just destined to win. They had the, they, they played against the Giants. I mean, if you look at the Giants, I think there may have been nine Hall of Famers on both sides of the ball um, back then. That that uh, of course elevated themselves to the Hall of Fame. Um, I know on my father's team there was probably six or seven. Um, but but again, they wanted to win, you know. And I think from from that standpoint, you know, it didn't matter what they did, um, you know, what what issues they that came up in front of them. They just called the right plays. And did the right things, and um, you know on both sides of the ball, and um, they just happened to prevail in overtime. So, um, and again, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, when Jimmy Mutchler, um, the, the play that that um, that scored was Alamitri over the of the end zone. The play before that, it should have been a score, but Jimmy Mutchler ran the wrong route. <laughs> so, so that's that was another. <laughs> I, I cover that in my book too. But, but that's what my one of the things that my father told me that he ran the wrong route. Otherwise, he would have scored the, the winning touchdown for the for the Colts. That time, but and, and he ended up running out of bounds at the at the one yard line, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, and and after that game, you know, this is just uh, just goes to show you, you know, just who Johnny Unitas was. You know, post game interview, he said that his job was made easier by the boys up front. And you know, the reason right. I bring that up is is because it's just a prime example of his character. And John, do you think that that is why? so many identified and looked up to your dad, not just because of his abilities on the field, but because he was just humble in everything he did. I, I do think so, um, um, Nick. And, and, I, you know, again, dad was that way. A lot of his uh, his uh, teammates were that way. Um, and he – listen, let's face it. Football is the greatest team sport in, 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 in athletics, the greatest. You can't win without the other guys up front or the defense. You just can't. You know, so so yet when everybody says Tom Brady's great, well, yeah, he's a good quarterback, no question about it. You know, does he call his own plays? I don't think so. Um, but does he do the things that my father did? Probably. You know, that meaning that he works after after practice with his players and, and running routes and timing and doing things of that nature. Yes, absolutely, you can tell. Otherwise, they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl. <laughs> but but again, that's what it takes. You know, you have to be humble. And again, my father never gave high fives and low fives. Never jumped up in the air. <laughs> never did any of that. You know, my father, my father, my father loathed those sort of things. You know, he says, "That's your job, man. Score touchdown, come off the field, sit down, grab some water or whatever, and move on." You know, he he just despised right. all that stuff. He did not like that. You get along with my dad. <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and, and talking about touchdown passes from Johnny yeah. Unitas, those those oftentimes went to Hall of Famer Raymond Berry, who you mentioned a little bit earlier. Sure. How how exactly was their relationship? I know you talked about they ran routes all the time, but John, these were these two were really the first combination of a quarterback and receiver to be clearly on the same page and at times they could take over a game. They played together for twelve years. And right. so just kind of talk about their relationship. 
Well, as I, as I alluded to earlier, you know, how close all the Colts were, the players and their families, and, and we really were. I mean, we, we used to get together with Raymond and Sally and, and her children, um, and they lived off of Tenberry Road, and we lived right around the corner. And, and Raymond, Raymond is, he was so dedicated to his craft. In his backyard, he had a big tree. I remember this as a kid. He had, in the back, backyard, he had a tree, and he had a rope tied around the tree with this, like, device. It was like a, it would, like, you know, like a, a tension device. And he would tie it around his waist, okay, and, and up the tension. And he would just, in the backyard, he would have Sally, like, hike the ball or something like that, and he would just start running. You know, just a, just a boom, 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 you know, I'm not kidding you. And this is how the guy was. And then there are times on the weekends and stuff where, where again, I was always around that we would go to McDonough High School and we would set up nets, okay, on the field. And my father and Raymond would work all for, for hours on end on Saturdays and Sundays, just throwing the ball, practicing. Raymond would do, you know, like they would we'd make a sideline marker and Raymond would have put his feet there and he would just like turn around. My, his back would be to my dad. And he would, you know, there'd be a certain timing between the two of them. And Raymond would turn one way or the other with his feet on the sidelines and bend over. You know, my father would put the ball outside of that sidelines and throw it to him, and Raymond would catch it and then stay in bounds. It was, it was incredible, man. It was just really fun to watch this stuff because it was all about both of them. And I have a film here at the house uh, about Raymond and my father doing these sorts of things. Um, so, and I watch it every once in a while. But it's just, it's just classic stuff, you know. And this is, this is, this I'm sure is being done today in the NFL between the quarterbacks and receivers. If it's not, they should be if they want to be great. Okay, um, but but that's the that's the relationship that Dad had with with Raymond. That's the relationship that Dad had with John Mackey and Lenny Moore and and, and Jerry Hill and. And the rest of them, you know, uh, Tommy Mitchell, you know, Jimmy Orr, all of them, man. It was just, it was, that's the way, you know, that's the way it was. The locker rooms were funny as hell, too, you know, towel snap and all that good stuff, you know. You know it's just, and then Jimmy Orr, <laughs> Jimmy Orr, they used to call him Paz. Jimmy Orr, number 28, was a wide receiver. Jimmy Orr would shave right before a game. I mean, literally, the team would be out in the field, Jimmy's still in the locker room shaving. And I said, Mr. Orr, I said, you got to get out in the field. He says, and I said, what are you shaving for? He says, son, you got to look good when they when you beat them on these in the end zone. <laughs> so, <that's amazing. laughs> so this is how these guys. I mean, they're truly down to earth guys, you know, with personalities, you know, and and no, you know, fuss about this or anything. They just carried on with their lives like it was nothing, man. If they could smoke cigarettes in the locker room, they would have. That's how they are, That's you know. Great. But these were true. To me, they're true athletes, man. You know, um, and you know, my father never lifted weights. You know, my father and and my father never drank water. Um, it's like coffee or something like wow. that. So, yeah. Well, my my father. I hope I can say this on air. But my father my father didn't drink water because he said fish 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 shit in it. So I'm not drinking water. That was his comment. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, sorry about that. But anyway. uh, no, you're good. <laughs> oh, you're okay. You're okay. Okay, cool. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, so so, but that's the kind. Of, that's kind of the way these guys were, you know. Um, and they and they loved each other like there was no tomorrow. Always going out for beers, you know, um, and and having a nice time and, and with their wives and the kids. And we all we used to get together a lot, you know, as family families do um, back then. So, um, to me, I mean, as and, I say, it was just it was a nice family organization. It was it was well run. It was just a, it was a shame that they left here, but uh, it is what it is. 
Yeah, and you talk about team chemistry. I mean, that that is just the, the epitome of team chemistry when, oh. when you've got guys, you know, like you said, going out with their families and 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 doing stuff in the backyard and do, you know, away from the yeah. team. They're 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 friends, you know, and that's that. Like you said, football is the ultimate team sport, and that's a huge part yeah. of it. Yeah, you know when they and, and when they got up, when they stepped on the field, it was all business, man. It was all business. You know, there was a player called Billy Ray Smith. I don't know if you guys remember. He was a he was a defensive lineman. And he was as mean yes, as the yes. day is long. Well, I was a ball boy, and that was for the home games. I would be there for the home games with with um, Jerry Sandusky, who's uh, you know, Alex or, or John Sandusky's son, and so forth. So we and Donnie McCafferty, who was you know the, the coach McCafferty's son, and and so we'd be on the sidelines with the balls and stuff. And and I was littler than than the other guys, and so my father would just say, "Just sit here, son, on the bench." Blah blah blah. And I said, "Okay." So Billy Ray Smith would come out, and I'm not kidding you. He would be foaming at the mouth. This is how he got up for the game. He, I'm literally, I'm not kidding you. There's <laughs> stuff coming out of his face. He, he was so scary, okay? Like, I, I was frightened to death. I, I, I moved all the way to the other end of the bench, and when he would come down, I'd go to the other side. You know, so I, I didn't want him to be close to him because I didn't know what the hell was going to happen. But that's, that's how that guy, that, those guys were. You know, they just got up for the game, and they played. It didn't matter if they had a busted foot or arm or something. They still played through it. I mean, if you remember, Gino Marchetti played through the 58 championship game with the busted up leg. Yeah. And then they carted him off. Yeah. So, so there's, again, these guys were tough. My father especially. You know, my father, as I think I've mentioned to you before, had a high threshold of pain. You know, he, he played with punctured lungs in the 59 championship game. So, you know, and, and again, had a vest on underneath. Um, and, and, wow. and, 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 and you look at Super Bowl three, um, they should have won. Um, had they put my father in sooner, um, they would have won. <laughs> but there's a long story to that as well with my father's arm. Um, so, and and again, you know, these guys were just rough and tough. Um, I remember I managed my father later in his life, and we went to a card shows a lot. And um, one of the card shows we were at was um, I don't know if you remember uh, Doug Atkins played for the Chicago Bears, and this this okay, he was yep, a defensive yep. lineman. Do you remember Doug? Anyway, well, Doug is like yeah. six seven. I mean, he's just a huge individual. Okay, <clears throat> I never met him before, and so we're in this limousine being, you know, taken to a to a card show, and Doug's in the car, and literally his knees. He's sitting in the chair in the seat in the limousine. Literally, his knees are up by his head. That's how big he is. I mean, the size of his thighs <laughs> were like twice the mine. Okay, well, he tells a story. He told me a story. He says, Junior, he says, the toughest man I ever played against was your father, and I said, I'll tell you why. He says, we were playing a game, and the Colts were playing in Chicago, and, and uh, you know, Doug Atkins could jump over linemen. That's how big he was. So he would just leap over people, okay, to get that to the quarterback. And he says, there was one game when we were playing, and your father was back to throw, and one of my guys had him down below, and, and he was looking, still looking, standing up, holding the ball. And I mentioned, I said, hold that son of a bitch up till I get there. That was Doug Atkins telling my father. <laughs> so, so my father, so, so my father hears him, and my father is just oblivious. He's just focused on what he's doing. And so my father releases the ball, completes the pass, and then of course Doug comes right after my father, right at his head. And my father just ducks and goes over my over my father's head. And my father stands up and says, "Oh, you missed." <laughs> <laughs> so, so Doug's like, he said he pissed me off so much. He said I was trying to get him the rest of the game, <laughs> but that's how those guys were, you know. They would just taunt each other too, you know. <laughs> but that, that oh, again, that's great. It's, 
there, there's just so many stories. Artie Dahman has great stories. You know, um, when the the they were the Colts were playing Green Bay. Um, I don't remember it was a championship game or in Green Bay. And of course, my father was my father's a Roman Catholic, so my father very religious, goes to church all the time, and most all the other Colts players do too. So they were in church in Mass in Green Bay, and it was Sunday, and they were going to play the Green Bay Packers that afternoon, and the, the priest is standing up front and everything, and, of course, the Colts are in one row, <clears throat> and um, the priest was talking about how the, the Green Bay Packers were going to, you know, just clobber the Colts and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> so, so, so Artie turns to everybody in the pew, don't any of you give to the poor box. <laughs> so when, the basket, when the basket came around, none of them gave any money. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that is funny. That, that is funny. That, that, I mean, there's just so many. There were just so many characters on that team. You know, um, it just it just was blast. Just great great memories of them. And and I and I say to say I try to cover a lot of that in my book because I think it's just important for people to know that that these guys were truly truly uh, men for the people. You know, they were just common pe- folks. You know, yeah, they everybody puts them on a pedestal and stuff, and maybe they belong there in the football. You know, uh, arena, but they were truly, truly common people, for, common folks for the common people. They really were, and and my father included. And and he just loved being around them. They never refused autographs. Um, you know, unlike today, some of them do. And, you know, I mean, again, it's a business. I understand that, but you know, you, you just don't refuse. Um, and so so he embraced. It. And the, and the bottom line is, guys, if it's not for the fans, you're nothing. <laughs> you, know, you can play all day long. Oh, right. It's not for the fans. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Um, you know, before we uh, we let you go here, John, and we talk about sure. your book before we go, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, t- you touched on Super Bowl three, and that's something I, I kind of wanted to talk about. You know, sure. uh, you, you mentioned that your dad had an injured arm, and, and there's a, a story I read about that, uh, a, and maybe you can tell me if there's any truth to this, about mm-hmm. a special ball that the NFL was testing out for night games that was actually heavier than, than uh, the regulation ball. And, and was that how your dad injured his arm, throwing with one of those balls? No, that's an interesting <laughs> – no, I've never heard okay, that before. Yeah. But, no, no, that's that, that – to me, that's not true. Uh, what happened with my okay. dad was this. Um, in the preseason, um, he was quarterbacking, and they were, they were, I guess they were playing against the uh, uh, Dallas Cowboys. And my father went back to pass. And, and, you know, when you cock your arm back to throw the ball, um, my father threw the ball, followed through, and someone hit his arm and pushed it back after he followed through with throwing the pass. Well, <clears throat> my, my father's arm was sore, okay? And, and um, so, you know, the, the, they, 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 they didn't have x-rays back then, just so you guys know. Um, so they just thought it was maybe some tendon pulls or whatever. So as a result, you know, he, he didn't he didn't play the rest of the season. That gave Earl Morrill the opportunity to come in and play. Well, um, it, it finally was okay with, you know, with treatment and massages and stuff like that later on um, in, in the game or in the year, my father was able to play. So um, at halftime during the Jets and, the, and that Super Bowl game, um, you know, of course, Earl wasn't having a great time um, through some interceptions and stuff and missed a throw to Jimmy Orr in the end zone and, and whatever. And, and so Shula says, and by the way, my father was not very fond of Shula. So anyway, I can tell you a story about that too, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> um, so Shula says to my father, 
John, get ready to go in at halftime. My father, my father said, "Sure, I'm always ready to play. You know, <laughs> I don't have to get up for a game. You know, I'm, I'm always up for the game. I'm here to, you know, whatever." So, so my father, thinking, okay, he's going to get in at halftime. So halftime comes comes in, goes back out, and so Shula comes back out at halftime and says, "John, we're going to give Earl another chance." So they kept Shula or Earl Marl in for the second half until I don't know what's like six or seven minutes left in the game, and then they put my dad in, and they, my father takes him down for a touchdown. And over the years, when we did car shows, we would see some of the older you know Jets, Namath, and somebody, and and Don Maynard and everybody, and they said, John, you know, they would tell me the story. He says, John, we're, we're really glad that your father stayed out of that game because otherwise we would have lost. And I think, that, and I think it's true. And because Dad, Dad knew what to do. Earl knew what to do, too. But I think my father had that chemistry uh, with those other players that um, obviously took him down for a touchdown. Um, and um, I just think it would have been a different story had my father been put in a little earlier uh, at that game, and they probably would have won Super Bowl three. But that was a big game. I think game. a lot of people the, agree you know, with you. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've heard that over the years. I, I just think, you know, we, we're never going to know, right? But, but at the right. end of the day, it was a, it was a big AFC NFC. That was the, the, the changeover, you know. Um, so it was, it was a big game, and and, uh, and Namath had a good game. Game. I mean, there was another game. So my father and him threw 400 some yards passing against each other too. So, um, but, but again, that that was just football back then. So, let me finish the story. So later on in my father's life, you know, of course he finished playing with the Colts, and then was thrown down in San Diego, which was a complete mess. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really was. It was bad. Uh, but anyhow, so my father retires. Um, and later on in, in his life, you know, he's doing things and signing and stuff. We starts losing feeling in his hand, his right hand. And they thought, well, maybe it's carpal tunnel. Well, make a long story short. Remember the injury that he had in Dallas in Super Bowl three. Well, what happened was is that after, you know, of course, with all this, you know, technology today, they they discovered that if you hold out your right hand, your right arm, and where your wrist is, okay, below your hand, there there are two tendons that run down your arm and they connect to your elbow, okay. Those two tendons, okay, were disconnected, and that was way back when in Super Bowl three of that year, okay, it was '69, I guess. Wow. So so so. Well, as a result, my father, that was my father's problem with his right hand. It wasn't carpal tunnel. It was those two tendons that were just, just they, were, they weren't connected to his elbow. They actually emaciated within his muscles in his arm. So what they did was they took him into surgery, and they opened his arm up. And as they opened his arm up, his arm fell off, literally almost falling off. So they had to reconnect those two tendons uh, to his elbow and those bones there. Um, and and that was that was the problem back then. But he played all those years after that with those two tendons, you know, disconnected, which which is wow. amazing, frankly. That's so crazy. yeah, but but that that, is that was the that was the problem uh, with, with his arm, and he didn't have the the velocity or the zip, if you will, on the ball later in his career. And and um, you know, he saw the writing on the wall. Although he still probably wanted to play, I think he retired when he was forty. But uh, but the San Diego mess was a complete debacle. So. But that wasn't his Wow. Point. Yeah. Wow. So, well, all right, John. Yeah. We know you got to get running. You wrote a book. It's called Johnny, You, and Me, The Man Behind the Golden Arm. And, you know, we touched on it a little, uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just about football, like you said. It's about family and your experience growing up in the 60s, right? right? 
Yeah, it's it's you know I, I begin with my father's funeral um, in in September 11th, 2002. He passed away a year to date to the 9/11, and my mom passed away earlier in the year in May. And um, my father's second wife was um, you know she she ended up suing me to want to take over control of my sports management firm and and, and everything, which was. Uh, which was crazy. It was actually stupid. But anyhow, so that that kind of gave me the impetus to write the book, and it was very cathartic writing the book. And I begin, as I say, with the funeral. I go back to 1933 in the earlier 30s when my father was born um, and what, what his life was like back in Pittsburgh. Everybody thinks my father grew up poor. He really didn't. He just grew up in the Depression. Um, but so then I, you know, the Rooney's bought those Pittsburgh Steelers back then for $2,500, and you know, college football was big. So I, I, I always branch a little history before each chapter um, of that, the, the game of football, or what's going on in football, or what was it like back then, and then I, uh, then I kind of roll into my father's life at that time. So every succeeding chapter will continue to evolve in my father's life, and then I end the end the book again with my father's funeral too. So um, it was, as I say, I, I expose a lot about our family, you know. Um, we were just a, a normal family. Um, I, I don't, you know, want to put us on a pedestal. We're, we, we certainly were not. Um, we grew up at times that were, as I say, carefree. Um, and um, you know, I think everybody will, will, you know, kind of relate to to our life. Uh, we're just we're just like everyone else. Um, just my father just happens to be the greatest quarterback of all time, and that that puts <laughs> him above everything else. So. That's my opinion, and 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 I, my yeah. vote's still with my dad from the Super Bowl thing. <laughs> okay, and and uh, but 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 again, I I just as I say, um, you know, they're all good quarterbacks. They really are. It's hard to compare them all. That's different eras, different times. Uh, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. The nutrition's better. Everything's better. Equipment, you you name it. You know, but they're, right. I, I think in football, there's there's certain organizations that have it together. Uh, you can tell the teams or the organizations that don't have it together by the teams that are just absolutely just you know there's nothing to them. I mean they're they're losing they're 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 just there's turmoil within the organization. It starts at the top, guys. You know, just like I say with the team, it starts with a leader, it starts with a general, and it works its way down through the rest of the team. And if you're having an organization with owners that are that are solid, you know, and know what they're doing, and and you know take care of their players. Then I think you're going to have a winning club. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I yeah. think you know you can see that by it's 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 the same handful of teams year in and year out who are who are in the playoffs and make a run for things. So, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, uh, you know I hope Cleveland turns it around. To be honest with you, and I, and I you know every year when my quarterbacks win the the Golden Arm Award like Deshaun Watson won it this year, you know I'm just hoping he doesn't get picked up by Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> You know? yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I feel, you know. I mean, I I don't want to tell him that, but I mean, that's kind of how I feel. I I hate to see him do that, you know. Right. Yeah, it seems yeah, to be I where quarterbacks go to die. Yeah, I mean, you know, Connor Cook won it the year before, and and Connor was thinking, oh, I'm going to get drafted in, you know, first, second round or whatever, and I don't remember where he got drafted, but you know, he's he's with a good organization, you know. Um, yep. And uh, and every time these guys, you know, they they get to a team and they come back and they, they they always call me when they come back to Baltimore if they're playing the Ravens, and we get together and we talk about it, you know. And, and Connor, I want to play right away, you know. I said, well, you know, it's not a, a Dak Prescott thing, Connor. You just got to be patient, man. You're 20 some years old, dude. <laughs> Give yourself a break, you know. You're, you finally <laughs> yeah, got a exactly, job. Exactly. Work yourself in. Learn as much as you can, you know. And and your time will come, I promise you. And it's and I say it to all these guys, you know, but. I understand where they're coming from. They want to play right away, but you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. But I tell you, I have nine quarterbacks that won the award that are still playing in the NFL today. So I'm very proud of them. 
Um, I keep in ta- contact with all of them. Um, and it probably a good trivia question for you guys to put to your audience. You know, well, who are the nine quarterbacks that are playing in the NFL today from the Johnny Nice Gold Arm Award? But see if they there can. There we guess. go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that, hey, that's awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll post that out there to our listeners. There we go. There's our trivia question of the day, Cole. There you go. I like it. There you go. All right, well, guys, John, listen, the book I, is I Johnny, you and time, me. Man. Yeah, the, the book is Johnny, You and Me, The Man Behind the Golden Arm. I know you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can yep. get it in, a, in, I believe, a hardcover and paperback, correct? Yes, sir, you can. It's uh, Triumph Books was my publisher out of Chicago, and uh, they did a nice job with the, with the book and everything. So, as I say, it's an it's a easy read. It's a fun read. some good stories in there about uh, which, which I've kind of shared with you today. There's a few other ones in there, too. So, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> It was, it's, as I say, it was very cathartic for me, and it's, I'm very proud of it. And, and um, as I say, I, I exposed a lot of the Unitas family warts, which is just, you know, common. I mean, listen, to me, every family is dysfunctional in some way, including ours. And, and I just wanted to let everybody know that uh, we are all normal, just like everyone else. And I think they'll appreciate that. Absolutely. Love all it. right, John. Well, we'd love to have you back sometime to continue this conversation. It's been great talking with you, and, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it, and best of luck to both of you. Thanks, okay. John. All right. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Thanks John. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. That was awesome. All right, everyone. That was uh, Johnny Nitus Jr. And like we said, the book is Johnny, You, and Me, The Man with the Golden Arm. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, just Google the dang thing. You can find it. I think you can get it on Google Play if you're one of the uh, e-book people. Who have got like the Kindle and that you can you can you can get that book for around nine ninety nine and I'll, I'll tell you what I I read you know I just started reading this thing I've, I've, I'm in the beginning of the book and it's 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 riveting I mean it's unbelievable you know the the stories that he just shared with us they're all in there um, and in a lot more detail and, and coming from you know the people themselves and it's just you know if you're if you're a Johnny Unitas fan or a Baltimore Colts fan or a Colts fan or football fan, heck, a, a football fan, I mean, it, it's 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 really worth your worth your time, and it's it's a sh- it's a book you should have on yourselves for sure. So we're really glad that that John could join us and 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 uh, yeah, just really appreciate it. I, uh, <laughs> I thought that line of we were a normal family. Or, or like we're a regular people too, a regular family too. But my dad just happened to be the best quarterback of all time. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and and I, I'm glad he shared that story about the arm because I I was reading a lot of different stuff, and, and you know the internet is a great thing, but a, a lot of times the internet isn't always true, and that's why I wanted to ask him about it because the the story that I read about the arm was is that the NFL had been testing out a new football that was supposedly uh, supposed to be better to see at night because back then on, on TV, it, you know, it wasn't high definition, so it was hard to see. And, and they wanted to test a ball that was brighter and was, uh, you know, more visible on the TV screen. And supposedly that ball was heavier and uh, Johnny Unitas had been warming up with that ball and hurt his arm. And, and I'm glad that we could clear the air on that because that wasn't actually the case of what happened. He injured the, the arm in a game. And his story, Cole, about the fact that his tendons were detached from his elbow for that long, That's and he played through that? Gross. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, you talk about toughness. Um, there's no way 
any of the quarterbacks oh. out there today nope. are playing through that. There's just Absolutely no way. Not. The only right. player that could ever do that would have been Brett Favre, and he, I don't think he could do that. That I know of. I, I would, yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's the only one that's comparable that comes to mind. I know there's a lot of tough guys out there. You know, you, you look at uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, uh, that whole thing with Byron Leftwich running down the field with one leg. I mean, you do see it. You know, you do see that. But, but you know like he said, it was a different time. And, and that was stuff they dealt with on, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. They get in a game they, they they didn't have the padding they have now. They got hurt. They broke arms. They broke fingers. They dislocated stuff and they just kept playing. Yep. Well, all right. Hey, we got to get the show rolling. Let's get into our go. lead story of the week. And that's brought to you in part by FanDuel. We at the coach and Cole show partnered with our friends at FanDuel if you have never tried FanDuel before, now is your chance to get in on the fun and support the Coach and Cole Show. Go to either our Facebook page or our Twitter feed and click that link that we have posted, and that will bring you directly to the Face FanDuel homepage where you can sign up. You only have to deposit as little as $10 to start, and depending on what contest you enter, you can du- double, triple, quadruple, or even quintuple that in one contest on FanDuel. And by clicking our link we have provided, FanDuel will kick back a couple of bucks to help us pay for bringing you this show free on a weekly basis. So if you're new to FanDuel, get over to our pages and click that link, sucker. Nice. Okay, maybe not, maybe not the sucker. Maybe not the sucker part, but click that link. We'd sure appreciate it. And all right, lead story of the week. We've got to go back to this whole Charles Oakley, James Dolan situation. So since we last spoke on the situation, Dolan and Charles Oakley had a meeting set up by NBA commissioner Adam Silver and Michael Jordan was brought in by conference call to help mediate that situation. Both Dolan and Oakley apologized for the fallout. Uh, Oakley's arrest after the altercation. uh, They apologized from Oakley's arrest after the altercation at Madison square garden. Um, We've all seen the footage. We've seen him get drug out by those guys. Um, Adam Silver said that both Mr. Oakley and Mr. Dolan were apologetic about the incident and the subsequent comments they made, they understand the negative impact on the Knicks organization in the NBA. Um, you know, again, Michael Jordan was brought in to help mediate the situation. I mean, Cole, what do you think the fact of, I, I mean, we all know the power of Michael Jordan and who he is. And, and, and the fact that him and Charles are friends, um, and I'm sure that being that Dolan and Jordan are both owners, they have a relationship as well. So, I mean, do you think that without Jordan, the, I, I, I'm just suggesting that maybe without Jordan, the meeting wouldn't have went as, as well as it did? Uh, <laughs> I just think it's weird that they involved Jordan. I get that he's Oakley's friend, and he was a teammate of Jordan. Um, and like you said, he is an owner, so he, he has to have some sort of relationship with Dolan, as all the owners do. Um, by the way, did just a quick side note with the owner thing. Jordan told uh, the Warriors owner, Lake up, Joe Lake up, that 7-3 wins doesn't mean shit. So I thought that was funny. Yes. Um, yes. But what's, what is the point? Like, why is Jordan there? Just to, like, make sure things go smoothly? Isn't that what Adam Silver is there I, for? I, th- I think so. I think so. I think – and 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 maybe Silver, you know, recognized the situation and how – 
you know, this relationship between Nolan and Oakley had pretty much deteriorated to nothing. Bringing in Jordan, you know, will make sure that both guys kind of stay in line, I think, is, is basically, you know, the way I understood it. Um, you know, you, you fast forward here a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I mean, apparently the meeting went good, you know, and, yeah. and after the incident, Dolan um, lifted the ban. On, on Oakley and 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 they also you know refer uh, re, you know retracted their statements that Oakley had a drinking problem which they also went public with which I thought was a little out of line I mean um, to me he didn't there there was no indication that the man was was drinking he he very well could have been we don't know what his breath smelled like for God's sakes but there was no uh, alcoholic beverage in his hand or on his seat or. You know, and and like we said last week, Cole, there there was really nothing from any of the video footage that we saw that suggested that, that Oakley was was doing anything wrong. So, right, um, very very interesting situation. Um, you know, and, and and fast forward to the latest on this, which now this is really getting really kind of getting out of hand. And, and you know, speaking of podcasts, these NBA guys are are starting. You know they're starting to get a little idea from the Coach and Cole show here. You know they they're they're hacking what we do. You know which is fine, um, but they're they're trying to get a little piece of the pie themselves. And and Draymond Green, forward for the Golden State Warriors, he's now has a podcast of his own, and he kind of spoke on this subject on his podcast recently, and and he said, uh, I quote, number one, the man is a legend. Treat him as such. Why is he buying a ticket to a game first off? This is Charles Oakley. And if I'm not mistaken, Dolan owned the team while he was playing. It wasn't a problem when he was speaking out then. It wasn't a problem when he was protecting their superstars then. Why is it all of a sudden a problem now when he speaks out on something that he don't like? And now you want to disown him from your entire organization? And I quote, this, that's a slave mentality. You're doing it for me. It's all good. But now you're doing it against me or speaking out against me, against my organization. It's not good anymore. That's a slave mentality, a slave master mentality. It's ridiculous. I disagree with that. Cole, what, uh, you know, the slave mentality. um, What are your thoughts on these comments by Draymond Green? I mean, is he taking it too far with connecting it to, to a slave mentality? Uh, well, that's a tricky situation to dabble in. He did apologize for it, but I think that was more of a thing where you kind of have to apologize for, even if you really do mean what you say. Um, it's really tricky to talk about because either you're implying that this is not equal to, but on the same in the same sentence as slavery or you're minimizing slavery. So it's just a really tricky situation. I know uh, I'm a big fan of Bomani Jones. I don't know if you guys listen to him at all, but uh, he works for ESPN and he was talking about how players in general kind of not view it as slavery, but view it as, I work for you and you're the owner and you can do with us as you please, you know, trade you, release you, whatever. And they look at it as them being completely different 
on a whole different page than owners. So I think that's what he was talking about. I want to say that that's what he was talking about, that players, ex-players are on a whole different thing than owners, and owners are able to do what they please with the players. Yeah, you're right. It's it it makes sense. I got where you're going with it. It just like you said, it's it's kind of a touchy subject. You don't want to say the wrong thing on that. It's such a hot button um, topic at at any time when 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 somebody uh, compares something to that. I, I think, in my opinion, he's going a little far on that. I mean, um, I you know I, uh, it, it, I I just think that I think we can all agree that what happened to, to Oakley during that game was a little over the top with there's no evidence right. to suggest that that Oakley uh, did anything wrong um, that night. Um, but, but, you know, like we said, we don't know what he was saying, but again, with the, with the, everyone has a, a recorder in their pocket with their cell phone. And if Oakley was shouting obscenities, uh, you, you, there, there's a good chance that that would have been recorded by somebody. And we would have heard somebody that. Would have so, you know, Somebody, somebody would have saw that, like you're saying, and you know, it's it's just an interesting situation. I mean, it continues to grow. You know, you, you've got former players and current players kind of jumping in with it, and I think it was really proactive what Adam Silver did to kind of try to nip this in the butt, have that meeting, and try to end it because I think he could tell that it was taking away from the games themselves. I mean, this story was overshadowing what actually was going on with the NBA. And with the all-star break coming up, that being a really big time for the NBA, I think it was something that he didn't, a cloud that he didn't want, you know, to have hanging over the NBA. So I think his effort was great, but, but now because of the attention that this is getting, it's continuing to spiral. And you've got, you know, like we just said with what Draymond Green said, now, our good friend Chuck, Charles Barkley, also weighed in on the situation and on Draymond Green's comments, and he said on an Atlanta sports radio show that what he said was stupid. And I quote, um, I don't think you ever use basketball analogies to compare to slavery when guys are making 20 to $30 million a year. I think that's just stupid. The Knicks have been very disrespectful to Carmelo Anthony. To compare guys making twenty to thirty million dollars to slaves is just asinine and stupid. Um, you know, I, I guess, I, I guess I see where he's coming from. I mean, it was it was a pretty uh, drastic comparison um, from what had gone on to what Draymond Green said. Um, I'm not saying what Draymond Green. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Cole. What do you got? I'm not going to say like. But can you separate slavery? And I don't want to get into like a whole political or whole history lesson here, but can you separate slavery, like the history of slavery from someone being a slave, if that makes sense? Like, are you able to not talk about or not associate it with American slavery or uh, any slavery in the history of the world? And, are you able to separate that from someone like being a slave to someone like a business or a person or whatever? Well, I think we should be able to, 
Um, you know, I, I think there's absolutely a difference in, in what we're referring to, but I think, um, in this seemingly this name and age and, and what seems to be run with by the media and, and everyone else, it seems to be tough to do that. So, yeah. This question. Um, we'll have to, you know, yeah, yeah, we'll have to see how this, this, you know, evolves and continues. Um, anything new, we will definitely cover it on, on our social media accounts. And, and if it, if it continues to grow the story, um, you know, we'll touch Hopefully on it again not. next week. But yeah, I think a lot of people are, are, are frankly kind of sick of what, what's going on with it. But um, interestingly enough, I think this is a huge moment for Charles Oakley um, because he's recently announced that he will be joining Ice Cube's three-on-three B.I.G. three league. He's going to be a player coach. And so um, I guess this notoriety opened the door for him. So maybe it was a good thing for, for Mr. Oakley. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that later on the show. I think we're going to touch a little bit more on the VIG three, but like I said, it's the all-star break. And so let's, let's have a little breakdown uh, of the state of the NBA as it sits right now here at the all-star break. Uh, Cole, you wanted to start off with something here. I did. Uh, on Wednesday night, I was watching ESPN. They were doing this, uh, like this switch thing with, they switched the broadcasters from NBA and college. So college guys were doing NBA games and vice versa and analysis were all over the place. Uh, Bill Walton and Dickie V, who has, I'm pretty sure Dickie V hates Bill Walton. He, he was correcting uh, him throughout the game, the Cavs and Pacers game. Uh quick story about that they were talking about MVP and Bill Walton said something about Harden and he said something else and then he said I would go with LeBron James uh he is he has the heart of a champion he is a champion and then <laughs> and then Dickie V goes like this is right before a commercial they didn't they didn't segue at all into the commercials they just kept talking and then the people <laughs> just cut out because and they would just keep talking and right before the commercial break uh Dickie V goes uh, well, they they don't vote for uh, the champs. This is a regular season award, and then it just cuts out right there. <laughs> it's so funny, like you know, Dickie V. He's a very animated guy, and there were times where he would just like calmly talk, like, "Yeah, Bill, like what you're saying, it doesn't make any sense." Just so you know, and it was just like that the whole night. Anyways, uh, like I go on, well, what he said didn't make sense. Um, very entertaining. A couple of things that uh, struck out, or whatever the hell that word stuck out, um, were some comments that Dickie B had. He was talking about how there's no big man down on the block, like back in Bill Walton's day. And another thing he said that was LeBron is one of the best passers. And I think he might have said he is the best passer of all time. Uh, but I didn't rewind it just because I didn't really care. Um, but he said he's one of the best passers of all time, but he was, his point was that his role in the NBA as a player isn't being a facilitator. He's not a point guard. Um, so I had two things with that, that from that game. Um, put in this quotations, this is the title of a book or a movie. 
uh, the death of the big man on the block. And then who are some guys that are all-time greats that aren't known for being a traditional facilitator? Let you answer either one of those. Okay. Um, you're, you're, you're kicking it back to me here. So, yeah. <laughs> so some, some, some big men, guess what you're asking is some big men that are all time greats that aren't known for being facilitators. Um, no, 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 I not, think not big first. Men. Oh, okay. Just, so just you're players just players in general that weren't known for passing. Uh, well, Hold Alan on. Iverson comes to mind. Um, he wasn't much of a facilitator. Um, you know, uh, no, I'm saying not all time greats. Let me rephrase the question. Okay. Who are some all time greats, you know, top hundred players, top 50 players, hall of famers. Yeah. Yeah. That are great players, obviously that were really good passers, but weren't known you know, you don't know that guy for his passing ability. Like, like LeBron James. You know him because he's LeBron James. He's, he's a great oh, all-around okay, player. Okay. You don't know him. Larry Bird, another guy that's all-time great, but he's a great passer. Right. One guy that, um, one, another guy that I like, uh, Chris Webber. Basically anybody on that yeah, early absolutely. 2000s Kings team. A great big man, really good big man, but he could, you could run the offense through him. He was a great passer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, one comes to mind for me, and, and, and it's watching a lot of, uh, of the Lakers uh, in years past and then a little bit with his time with the Bulls is Paul Gasol. He was a pretty darn good passer. That's um, a good one. That, that, was, that was one that came to mind, um, you know. And, and there's, there's a lot, you know. And I think we don't really think of big men – of really being a facilitator, you know, we just, we just, you know, we, we think of that whole thing. If you're a big man, you're down on the block, we're going to feed you the ball. You're going to back a guy down and and you're going to score. I mean, and so, and I think that's, what's really valuable about a guy who, who is that two way player who, who can make a great pass. He, he takes a double team or he, he draws the defense and then he's able to make a pass. And, And I think that's, you know, Shaq, Great example. I think there's, you know, that there's no doubt that that's, you know, extremely valuable if, if they're able to do that. Um, another thing, the other thing, the death of the big man on the block. Uh, this goes back to, I think last week I was talking about a little bit with LeBron and just like how this new generation of basketball, according to old people, is terrible. This is the most skilled I think the NBA has ever been and I know I'm biased or whatever you want to call it because I'm a millennial or I didn't watch it back in the day but a lot of people say the 90s were the best was the best era or whatever blah 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 there were eight expansion teams added to the NBA in a span of like five years there's no way in hell you can tell me that the league wasn't watered down at that point where the skill was pretty What's the expression? Put the butter on the bread. Um, <laughs> what is that called? Uh, spread thin. There we go. It was spread, spread thin. Spread thin. There you go. Yeah. But well, in terms I, of big I, guys, I think... um, few all-stars, 
Uh, you got DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, should have Cat. You have uh, Christoph Porzingis in New York, Nikola Jokic, uh, dude in Denver who nobody watches because he's in Denver. Uh, Joel Embiid, great guy. Miles Turner, a lot of guys don't know about him. Another guy for the Sixers, Darius Sarich. We have, like, Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns are making moves that guards in the 90s would make and the guards in the 80s would make. And they're seven feet tall, 250 pounds, and they can shoot from three, make moves like guards, and obviously put the, they can play in the paint. Like, this is the most skilled that NBA has ever been. And like I said last week, everything gets better with sports. And like John even alluded to, everything like equipment, uh, technology, just knowledge, health, blah, blah, blah. Like athletes get bigger, faster, stronger, and that's what we have. So, yes, there isn't a big man that can – you just put it down low and run the offense from there. He's going to have to shoot because you're going to take him out of the game because you can double and triple team because you have – it wasn't a legal defense now, which was back then where a zone was legal or back in the day – um, you either had to commit to a double team or you had to stay in a guy or else it was called a legal defense. I think I yeah. just went yeah, on a little I, tangent there. Yeah. but it's Well, no, I think it's a good point. I mean, um, you know, these, like you said, these big men now are, are, are extremely talented. And these teams aren't going to draft a big man who doesn't have a, a guard-style skill set. If they can't dribble, if they can't, pass if they can't shoot they're going to fall in the draft and and that's just the way it is i mean teams don't really look for a traditional big man i mean per se they don't look for the guy who's a big body who all they can do is block shots and and throw up a layup i mean they or or dunk it i mean they just don't look for it anymore they got to have the skill set like you're talking about and it's hard to argue that i mean there's so many of them around the league, these big guys, uh, you know, that have those skill sets. It's, it's, it's something that we haven't seen in the NBA before. That's for sure. And those guys that I mentioned, they're all really young. Yeah. It's a young, yeah, it's a young group and it's, you know, in another three, four years, it's going to be interesting to see where the NBA goes and, and just how good the league could be. You know, it just, it's in a really – I think the NBA is in a really good spot with this young talent that it has. Yep. And one more thing. Uh, you, you mentioned the guy that can – just a big guy that can basically not do what we mentioned, like able to dribble it from the three-point line and get a shot or just shoot from out there. Uh, a young guy that isn't able to do that stuff, Jaleel Okafor, he doesn't get a whole lot of time in Philly. He doesn't have a whole lot of – Nobody wants to trade for him, but Philly does want to trade him because they got too big of a – they're too clogged up down there with their big men. But that's a prime example of what you were just talking about. Like, that's not something that somebody wants, somebody that can just go down on the block and, and score. You got to be very versatile, versatile, however you want to say it. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. 
And and speaking of those young guys and, and the skilled guys in the NBA, uh, you know, it's NBA All-Star Weekend, like we talked about. And what we're going to do here, we've got, you know, All-Star Weekend, um, the Futures game, uh, rookie-sophomore game, I should say, was, was last night, last Friday night. And tonight... I'm watching it right now. We yeah, Cole's watching it right now on the show. He's got her set up. And tonight, we've got the Skills Challenge, the three-point contest, and the dunk contest, who... A lot of people think it's the most exciting night of All-Star Weekend. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick our winner um, from each contest. So starting with the skills contest, uh, we've got Kristaps Porzingis, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Isaiah Thomas, Gordon Hayward, John Wall, and Devin Booker participating this year. And Cole, out of those guys, who do you think is going to win the skills challenge? Uh, Last year, Kat, my boy uh, from the Wolves, he won it. The big guy. And this year, uh, we're going with – I'm going to go with his uh, draft year alum, Kristaps uh, Porzingis, or Porzingad. But I want to say that Nikola Jokic, uh, he will have the slowest time by everyone, but he will not make any mistakes. That's just the type of player he is. <laughs> it's going to be super slow, but it's going to be perfect. <laughs> I can see it. Uh, I'm going to go with Isaiah Thomas. I, I, he almost won it last year. He made the finals with, with uh, your boy, Cat, And uh, he's, just, he's just on another level. I think he's, he's got, you know, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder from the way it seems and, and the, his attitude, the way he's been playing. And I just uh, – I think, I think he's going to win this thing. I, I, he's, he's my pick to win the skills challenge. It'll, it'll be interesting. Gotcha. Well, three-point contest, and, and to me, this is just – this is over before it started, but Clay Thompson, Kyle Lowry, Eric Gordon, Kyrie Irving, C.J. McCollum, Campbell Walker, Wes Matthews, and Nick Young, Swaggy P, are going to participate in the three-point contest. And, and to me, Cole, it's, it's Clay Thompson. It's not going to be a contest. He's going to run away with this thing. I, I think they, they needed a couple more shooters. They, get some actual three-point shooters in this thing. Oh, they got another one. His name is Kyrie Irving. Um, if J.J. Redick was in this, I would have a tough time because uh, they're both Duke guys, and I wouldn't know who to pick. They'd probably tie. They'd probably tie for a long time is probably what would happen. Perfect <laughs> scores for, like, five rounds. Um, last year, as you, many of you remember, he hit the game-winning shot against the Warriors, and he's going to keep this, this winning streak going. He's not going to let a Warrior win it. Uh, he's going to hit it on the final shot. He's going to put him up by one over Clay Thompson in the final round. And that's going to be that. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, I wonder what Vegas odds are on these guys. I, I think Thompson's got to be the favorite. I, I just can't see anyone out shooting him. But I think, you know, if anyone could do it, I, I'm, I'm not saying Kyrie couldn't do it. So, But not because he went to Duke. I'm just saying that. So. Well, that's a reason, though. <laughs> All right, so those are our picks for the three-point contest. Moving into the dunk contest, we've got we've got four guys: uh, Derek Jones Jr., Aaron Gordon, Glenn Robinson the third, Gr three, and then DeAndre Jordan. You know, um, I guess Gior, uh, Gior, uh DeAndre is a is a, a pretty household big name in the NBA. Aaron Gordon is famous for his dunk contest. 
you know, I, I wish it was back when the greatest guys in the league did this because it was just so much more entertaining to watch. And not that these guys aren't entertaining, but people want to see the stars do this. And for some reason, they just, they just opt out of it. They won't do it anymore. So we get more of a, a showcase for some young talent that we might not be aware of. And as far as picking a winner for this thing, I'm going to go with, you know, one of these unknown guys, and that's Derek Jones Jr. This guy, he, he's, he's unreal. He's got some major ups. I mean, this guy's got to have a crazy vertical. I was watching some highlights on him. Uh, you know, he's pretty much a D-leaguer, but I, I think he's going to win this thing, Cole. I really do. I think he's got, he's got the hang time that you look for, and he might be, you know, if he's creative enough, because I think that's a big part of it now is the creativity. If he's creative enough, I think he can win it. But I think the odds-on favorite's got to be your pick, and that's, you know, Aaron Gordon. I think he's got to be the odds-on favorite just because he's participated in it before and people know who he is. So, but I'm going to go with Derrick Jones Jr. Why are Why are you going with Gordon? Who does Derrick Jones Jr. play for? He's in. Uh, I want to say. Um, he's in. I don't want to say. I've never this even heard of this wrong. guy. He went to UNLV. He went to UNLV. Um, that's where he went to school. I know that. And he's been, you know, consistently a D-leaguer this year. Um, Suns. He's with Phoenix. He's with the Phoenix Suns. Um, huh. And and they've got a crowded backcourt. They've got a lot of guys. So he hasn't seen a lot of time with the NBA squad. Um, I, I think there's got to be a rule. He he had to have played some NBA time, otherwise he wouldn't be able to do this. He did. So I mean, uh, I just read a headline: Derek Jones Jr. finally dunks in the NBA three days before he competes in the NBA dunk contest. Okay, there so, you go. He dunked in the NBA. Wow. Okay, they must have really been searching for someone. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. But but it's a good choice. I mean, if you go go ahead and check out some highlights on this guy, he's he's. He's thrown down some monster dunks in the D League. I don't want to. Um, Aaron Gordon, <laughs> like you said, I'm going to go with him. He almost beat the best NBA dunk contest competitor last year in, in Zach Levine. Uh, Zach Levine. I always forget. I always get his name wrong. But I don't know if you guys caught that, but I did say Zach Levine is the best dunk contest competitor of all time. And if you say anybody before the year 2000 was the best at dunk contest, you're wrong. Um, but I'm going with Aaron Gordon. Mainly because of what he did last year. He almost beat Zach. And I think this year, it'll be a slam dunk. Ha! Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for that. Yeah, there's our first rim shot of the day. It's been... Uh... We're an hour and 15 minutes into the show. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a quiet day, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> so, Aaron Gordon, you're going with. All right, so let's talk about the All-Star game, which is Sunday night. We've got so – we'll just go through the starters. The East has got uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, Kyrie Irving, so two Cavs players. And then the West, you've got Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Stephen Curry. Um, 
a lot of people thought Russell Westbrook kind of got snubbed on the starters list there. He's on the bench. But we want to talk about who we think is going to win the MVP. And I just think that we're going to see some history being made. And I think Russ is going to win this thing. He's going to make it three in a row. He's one of two players to ever win it in two consecutive games. The other was Bob Pettit. And I'm sure that's a name that none of our listeners thought they would hear today. But uh, Bob Pettit was the other one. And he actually shared the honors the second time. But he's on the bench this year. And so I think it's a, a, a guy that a lot of people won't pick just because of that. But that really doesn't matter as far as the all-star game goes. He's actually won the MVP off the bench before. So I think it's going to be Russ. He's going to make it three in a row. I'm also going with Russ. Uh, And Kerr, when asked if he's going to play the four Warriors with Russ, uh, he kind of gave a no answer. He said possibly with a smirk, apparently. I really hope that he plays those four with Russ and that Russ does not pass the ball once to them. And if he's ever in the lineup with any of them at any time, I hope he doesn't pass to them at all. I think that would be hilarious. But I do think Russ <laughs> he's, is going to gonna give He's going to give him the Isaiah Thomas treatment? A little bit. I, I think it could ha- – yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to see um, – you know, I was thinking about that. And what if Russ doesn't pass to those guys? We saw that before with Isaiah Thomas uh, and Michael Jordan, where he wouldn't pass to Michael Jordan in the All-Star game. Yeah. And that kind of that led to him not being a part of the Dream Team. So we'll have to see how Russ goes about this if they, if they get on the floor at the same time. I think Kerr's got to do that. I mean, come on. We, everyone wants to see that. That'll be must-see. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think he's got to put those those uh, five on the floor at the same time. Or those four, excuse me. Agreed. Yeah. Well, yeah, those five. Yeah, yeah, those five. So, so that's 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 the all-star game. I mean, those are our picks. Uh, st- the, the festivities start tonight, and we'll have to see how we do. We'll kind of keep track of this and, and see who, uh, who gets the most cor- uh, correct on this. Can't wait. Bart Scott making an appearance. Can't wait. I love that. All right, so let's just kind of go through the NBA standings quick. Since we're at the All-Star break, we're going to stick to this NBA topic here for another segment. And, you know, Cole, looking at the top eight seeds from both the East and the West, uh, are there really – any teams that, that aren't in the top eight that you think could make a move and, and, and gain a playoff position? Uh, I'm looking at the East right now, and if Jabari didn't get hurt, I think Milwaukee could have. But with – because Middleton just came back, and with those three, Giannis, Jabari, and Middleton, I think they could have done something. But with Jabari out – I think it'll be tough for Milwaukee to do something unless Detroit makes a move, which they've been in trade talks with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. Uh, for me, it's not so much will a team like make a move up, it's will a team go down. 
And I don't see uh, Detroit going down unless they make a move. I don't see the Bulls really going anywhere unless they move Butler, which I doesn't look like they're going to. So other than that, no. On the West, uh, the eighth seed is weird. Uh, Timberwolves, they're 22 and 35, and they're only three and a half games out of the eighth seed. And there's one, two, three, four, four teams ahead of them. So that's it's pretty terrible for the eighth seed. I mean, you're, you're basically just, hey, who wants to lose to the Warriors? So congratulations to that. I wouldn't want the eighth seed. <laughs> um, and that kind of goes into my next question. But I don't see anything. I hope Denver makes it just because I want to see Jokic in the playoffs just to see because I feel like more people need to watch him because they don't know anything about him because he plays for Denver. Um, and the eight seed isn't going to move up. OKC's not getting up that seven seed because the eight seed in the West is just that bad. But like I said, that leads in my next question. Looking at these standings so far, you can kind of see where things are headed for a lot of teams. With that being said, you being a Bulls fan and myself a fan of the Wolves, would you rather be a fan of a team that will not, like just can't, they're not going to, make it past the second round at best, so they're either a first round, they're out of there, or if they make it to the second round, they get basically swept, or would you rather have a team that is in the lottery but has always talked about having potential? Well, that's 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 a no-brainer for me. It's it's clearly I want my team in the playoffs um, because it's a pride thing, you know. If your team's in the playoffs, um, you've got you've got something to cheer for, you've got something to watch. Your team is somewhat decent, um, and so you, you're you're the top half of the league. I, I to me, it's it's a no-brainer. I, I'd much rather have a uh, a winning team. I mean. They, they may not win the championship every year or get to the championship, but they're in the playoff conversation. They're in the picture. They have a chance. And that's all you need is hope, just a little bit of hope. And I think that's what keeps a lot of fans going. So to me, it's a no brainer. I want my team in the playoffs, even though uh, it's a, it's a worse, you're worse off as far as the lottery or the draft goes. But I think if your team can draft well, we've seen like San Antonio, over the past few years or well decade now um, be able to draft well at no matter where their position is. I think you can still succeed without a top pick. And, and we've seen teams that have a top pick kind of that not work out. Greg Oden comes to mind and there's other ones, but so, you know, to me, it's, I want my team in the playoffs. My thing is like, I kind of equate it to like the Grizzlies. Uh, what, like four or five years ago, they did make the Western Conference Finals, but since then, they've been like a four, five, six seed, and at best, they make it to the second round. And like you've already hit your potential. That's all you're gonna. That's your stealing is getting to the second round, and that's it, or getting to the playoffs. And if you know that that's all you have. And for a conversation's sake with, with parity, we know that this season is going to be Cleveland and Golden State unless some injuries happen. If Kyrie, if Kyrie gets hurt, 
I would if if I was LeBron, I would just sit out the rest of the season and just wait to the playoffs just in case. But Cleveland's still going to be the number one seed. Golden State's going to get to the finals. Well, doesn't matter what seed Cleveland is, they're going to get to the finals too. Um. So is there like, what, not saying what's the point of making the playoffs, but you're not going to go anywhere. And hopefully at some point things get mixed up and you're looking to the future. Like the Celtics, they are kind of the best of both worlds right now because they're the two seed. They've got really good players and they've got great assets for the future. Hell, I'd, I'd rather be a fan of the Celtics right now. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't want to be in the playoffs as, as a Timberwolves fan, but like if we were to make a run for the eighth seed, I would not want it at all because I'd rather have that draft pick. And what's the point of getting swept in the first round? You you lost a better draft pick. And historically speaking, better draft picks come in the lottery than they do in the later rounds. Um, right. It's just a yeah, question. I mean, it's just a thought. I, it, it is. It is. You know, and I, I get the thought, but as far as uh, looking at it from, you know, the, those players, they want to win. And, 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 you know, you it just, it, we're talking about from a fan perspective, I understand. And I think most fans want to cheer for their team to win. And so I, I think it's just in a fan's nature, but I, I get what you're saying. You know, there's sometimes there's gotta be, you know, you look at it, logically and go well there's really no reason or point for us to be there uh it's actually going to do our team more more hurt than good but you know it's an interesting thought it's it's but for me it's i want my team in the playoffs there's no doubt gotcha all right we're going to kind of speed things up we're coming to about a half hour for the rest of the show this is uh, the coach and cole show on blog talk radio and we're going to just kind of skim through who we think at this point in the NBA season uh, and do a little midseason awards. And so we're going to start with the MVP. Um, Cole, uh, who do you think should win the MVP if, if the season were to end today? It's James Harden. And I know that you're not going – I think you're playing devil's ad, advocate with who you're picking. But it's James Harden. And I would be okay with LeBron winning the – MVP for the last 10 years, including this year, because you take him off any team. Well, you take him off the Cavs, and they got the number one pick the next year. You take him off the Cavs this year, they're not in the playoffs. Well, they might be because the eighteen is that bad, but still. But anyways, it's Harden. He's nearly averaging a 30-point triple-double. He's got the, what, the three seed right now. Um, they're Well, shit, they're four games behind San Antonio. But with the season they had last year, and just the new pieces they have, and for him to do what he's doing, it's got to be hard. I, okay, I, I, Harden, I, I, I see it, I feel it, I feel it, I hear you, but I'm going with it, Isaiah Thomas. I, I think I, I without a, Isaiah Thomas. With the Boston Celtics, I think that team is is nowhere near the, where they are. I know they've got a good nucleus of players, but when the game's on the line this year, no other player has taken over like him. I mean, he, he's first in the NBA in fourth quarter scoring. He's shooting forty five percent from three point range. He's forty nine point five on all field goals in the fourth quarter. 
He's, he's helping the Celtics lead the league in fourth quarter scoring. So my point is when the game's on the line, this guy's playing big, and, and that means a lot to a team like Celtics, like to, a, to any team. And I think you take Isaiah Thomas away from Boston, and this team might still be a playoff team, but they're nowhere near where they're at now. And I think the way this guy's been playing, especially in the last month of the season, he, he has got to be the MVP, in, in my opinion. And, and I, I, there's an argument for all these guys that are in the running, but I, I think, you know, you gotta you gotta really look at it and go without Isaiah Thomas, where are the Celtics? And and to me, that's and you can look at that with any of these guys. I mean, these are superstars we're talking about, but he's really having a breakout year, and he's he's been just dominant over the last month or so of the year. So I, I gotta go with Isaiah. Gross. <laughs> Rookie of the year, uh, I think we can both agree that it's Joel Embiid. It's just pretty much no contest. Nobody else has the usage he does. Nobody else, you know, at the as a rookie is playing the way he's playing. He's just a man amongst boys out there. If he's healthy, he's just a force to be reckoned with. So I, I, I think thing, it's Embiid. Yeah. If he doesn't play the rest of the year, uh, it's going to be his teammate, Dario Saric. Um Right now, he's definitely in second place by a large margin. But if Embiid can't finish out the year, then I don't know how they can give someone an award that was, he's only played, what, like 40 games? So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you're probably right on that. Defensive player of the year, um, I think we're both in agreeing, agreement here. Uh, you know, it's Rudy Gobert. He's been a force all year. You you can't if you're if you're a fantasy player you you don't play centers against this guy. Um, he leads the league in blocks. No surprise there. I mean he's just a force to be reckoned with down there, at the center position. I, I think you're kind of in agreement with that. Yeah, I would go Gobert and then like a half a step behind him is Draymond. Uh, for those of you that want to say Kawhi Leonard, uh, a lot goes into it, but the Spurs are worse on defense with him on the court. I'll just say that. Like that's, yeah, that's yeah, not it's, it's, me. It's, that's not an opinion. That's, that's a statistical fact. Yeah. It's an interesting, interesting kind of shift in the way their, their uh, numbers and their stats go when he's on the floor this year. And so, and, and like you said, we don't have time to really dive into that, that situation, but, but uh, it's the truth. He, they're worse when he's on the floor defensively. Six man of the year. Um, who are you going with for that? Who's your Who's your pick for six man? I'm going to go with the guy who's going to win it, Eric Gordon. He's averaging seven points per game, 17 points per game, excuse me, and he leads the league in three points made over Curry, over Thompson, over anyone else that shoots threes. He's the yep. He's going to win it. So second yeah, second I mean, point really, per game he, on that team. Yeah, and he leads that second unit, and 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 so. Um, I could definitely see that he's leading the league. That's that's huge. Um, I'm going to go with Lou Williams right now. He's averaging a career high 18 points. I know their team isn't where they really want to be, and and they're young, and and they're also a talented team. They they've got a bright future if they can hang on to what they've got and maybe build a little bit more. But he lights it up all the time. I mean, he's a he's a streaky guy. He's in that crowded backcourt in LA. He's a big part of that team, and I think you know he could really help a contender at the deadline. If they, if they wanted to make a move 
Um, he's one of the older guys on that team. And so if they wanted to, to kind of ship him out, um, I think he could really help a team that could, could need a scorer uh, off the second unit. And so I went with Lou Williams for six man. I think uh, those are both good picks. Most improved player. Um, I think we're on the same page here again. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, you just watch this guy. There's no doubt his game has gotten better and it's getting better throughout the, the season as it goes. And in another year or two, he's just going to be just a stud. He's going to be one of the top players in the league. Yeah. Normally they give the player this award to a player who averages like just more points per game than he did last year. But every statistical, every stat went up this year. And him just leading this team like he is this year, although they're not in the playoffs, but it's Giannis. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. No doubt. Coach of the year. Uh, who do you like for coach of the year right now? Mike D'Antoni. Uh, leading the team from, what were they, like the seventh seed last year uh, to the three seed this year. And their offense is on pace with last year's Warriors, the historic offensive pace that they were last year. For them to turn around this team, the dysfunction that they had last year, to now this year just sharing the ball like crazy, everyone's getting a shot. It's what D'Antoni does is offense, and everyone gets their shots and everyone's having fun. Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, I like that answer. I like D'Antoni's good pick. But I'm going to throw one out at here, Cole. What about Doc Rivers? I mean, he's, he's dealt with some major injuries all year, whether it be Griffin and now it's Chris Paul. And the team is still contending. They're hovering around fifth in that Western Conference. I mean, I think he's done a great job coaching that team. He gets his guys to play with all his stars. I mean, he's he's done a great job there in, in L.A. And I, I don't know if the attention's on him enough for him to win the award. But if I were to give the award, I, I'd go with Doc. I think he is a good coach, but he's overrated. I don't think he's done anything in L.A. since he's been there. And when he won a ring... In Boston, he had three Hall of Famers on his team. Well, I, I agree with that, but I, I'm talking about you know this season what he's been able to do with all the stars. I think I, I think know. it's I think it's it's you got to tip your cap if you wear a cap to old Doc Rivers right now. What he's doing? Eh. Nah. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're not there. Huh? I'm not. I'm not thinking so. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. So those are our picks for uh, midseason awards. And we're going to keep the foot on the gas here. Vince Young in the news. Is he making a comeback? He hired himself a high-profile agent, Lee Steinberg. He's represented Troy Aikman and other football guys. And he announced on Wednesday that he's now taking Vince Young as a client. And the tweet that he sent out noted that Young would like to return to football. Um, it didn't really specifically mention the NFL, so that could mean that he could be playing CFL or in an arena league. Um, and it's also interesting to note that that spring league that's coming around in April is has garnered some interest from other older veterans. Uh, Ray Rice is a guy that is probably going to play in that league. And the league's also trying to get Johnny Menzel to play. So that could be uh, somewhere we could see Vince Young go. 
if he does find a team in the NFL, it, it'll be the first time he's on a roster since May 2014. Um, he went through a minicap with the Browns after he was cut with Green Bay, and a lot of people thought he was going to make the team in Green Bay, um, but they ended up going with Scott Tolzien, who uh, John Unitas mentioned earlier as a personal friend, and he's a uh, Golden Arm Award winner. Um, you know, he hasn't played in a regular season game since 2011. He went one and two as a starter for the Eagles, former first round pick. He was selected third overall by the Titans. He had some success with Tennessee before he moved on. You know, this guy was a two-time pro bowler, offensive rookie of the year in 2006. You know, Cole, do you think, you know, Vince can ever get back to a, I, I don't want to say a pro bowl caliber, you know, but do you think he can get back to a, a competitive uh, level? Can he play this game still, or is it is the game passed him by? Uh, I think that at 33, I don't really see him um, not being able to at least hold the clipboard for some team. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying like in a bad way, but you look at the quarterbacks right. that some of these teams have, like, I can't see Vince Young, somebody who is as talented as he is. It's not like he was ever like a bust or anything. Um, I think Tennessee ruined him. Jeff Fisher, Fisher, you suck. Um, but I think he, he can be good enough to at least make a team. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think, yeah, like I said, he's only 33. I mean, in quarterback years, that's not the end of the line. And, um, you know, I think it would be interesting to see him in that spring league or even in a CFL or AFL uniform. And I think uh, he's got a, a pretty strong legion of fans down there in Texas. Uh, and, you know, even just especially for a league like that, to get a guy of his caliber uh, in their league would be would be good for him. So we'll have to see how that develops. But Vince Young making a comeback. All right. So there's a super fight brewing. And we're talking about Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. Allegedly, they've settled on terms for a multi-million dollar boxing match. Uh, a British, a British source uh, told us on Tuesday. This, you know, this fight could be announced in the next couple of weeks. Both fighters have agreed to financial deals, according to this source, and, and they're saying a source. They're not naming the source. Uh, McGregor and Mayweather promotion CEO Leonard Ellerby didn't respond to the messages that the USA Today uh, sent out seeking comment about this. There's no doubt that this is a, a highly anticipated fight. Um, it, it's probably going to break some pay-per-view records, I think, if this gets done. You know, you've got McGregor, the UFC lightweight champ. You've got Mayweather, who retired in 2015. He was 49-0. In boxing, they've both talked about it for months. They're both kind of chirping each other back and forth. Um, I think there's so much talk about it. A lot of people would want to see this. McGregor is the hottest thing in MMA right now. There's no doubt about it. And Showtime would probably be the one to televise this event. The thing we've got to look at here is the UFC because McGregor is in contract with the UFC, and will they allow him to do this fight? I don't think they will unless they get a piece of the pie, which is just smart business. So that's going to be a big part of this. What I, what I want to talk to you about, Cole, is the odds on this fight. 
and Mayweather right now is, is we're talking a heavy favorite. He's minus 2,500. Connor is uh, plus 1,100. And so, Cole, to win $100, if you bet on Floyd Mayweather, you've got to bet $2,500. You know, that's pretty crazy. But, but Cole, you know, you're not really an MMA or combat sports guy, but you yourself as being just a common sports guy and, and just an all-around sports fan, are you interested in all in this fight? Uh, if somebody else pays for it, I'll watch it. <laughs> okay, so you're not you're not gonna go out and spend you know your sixty seventy dollars on the pay per view. No, uh, I'll keep up with it on Twitter and then watch it from there. But if like if someone else is like a buddy of mine is paying for it at his place, I'll go over there and watch for a little bit. But I saw something yesterday. That Dana White said this isn't even close to getting done. So. Uh, who knows? Yeah, you know, there, there's mixed reports. There's some reports saying it's it's right there. Yeah. They're really close. And then there's other reports, you know, and like I said, this whole UFC part of this is going to be what could really hold this up or, or keep this from happening. So we'll see how it develops, but it's something that I would definitely like to see. Um, you know, Conor McGregor is, like I said, the hottest thing in MMA, and, and he's a guy that I like to watch. I, I mean, I... He, he reminds me of the Muhammad Ali in boxing where he's loud, outspoken, brash, says what he wants. He's a trash talker. And, and he takes a lot out of the, the pro wrestling playbook as far as getting people interested because he, he's, he's playing the side of the bad guy. He want, people want to see him get hurt. They want to see him get knocked out and shut his mouth. And then there's people on the other side who, who kind of like that the fact that, you know, he talked all that smack and, and he backs it up. So um, I think there's a lot of people who would cheer for Conor McGregor in this situation because of Floyd Mayweather's history and the fact that Mayweather is a guy that a lot of people uh, don't really like. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, uh, you know, in the coming weeks, months, and see if there's if this is close to being something that'll happen or not. But but it would definitely be a super fight. And the, the promotional picture that's going around, uh, you know, McGregor's got an interesting wardrobe selection in that, in that photo. He likes to wear a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's pretty outlandish again. He's like I said, he's, he's very flamboyant. So um, his wardrobe kind of matches that his personality in that way. All right. It's the moment of truth here. Uh, a lot of people want to know who won their Sweet 16 greatest quarterback of all time matchups. The voting was unbelievable this round, um, you know. And I, I and let me make sure I get this count right. But but Cole, we were over, uh, you know, we were in the hundreds of votes. You know, the voting almost doubled from the the prior round. I think people are getting more excited as this gets gets closer. And so we're going to start with the one and the four seeds, and we're just going to kind of uh, do the same thing, or the, the one seed matchups, and we're going to go through this like we did last week. Um, Joe Montana, the one seed, taking on Bart Starr, and Montana was able to take it 78% to 22%. Uh, Montana pretty much ran away with it on both social media sites, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, then we've got Aaron Rodgers, and Sammy Baugh, and talk about two different eras here. 
Um, Sammy Baugh ended up getting a few more votes uh, on Facebook, but Rogers was able to run away with it 75% to 25%. Um, then we've got the next matchup, uh, Dan Marino against Kurt Warner. That one was, I guess, a little bit closer, but Dan Marino ran away with it 72% to 28%. Again, Warner was able to garner more votes on Facebook than he was on Twitter. And then we've got the upset, uh, the upset guy from the first round, and that's Terry Bradshaw, who upset Roger Staubach. He's going against Peyton Manning. And again, there's a lot of Terry Bradshaw fans out there because um, he really took a lot of the vote away from Peyton Manning uh, being the five seed. But Manning's going to advance 60% to 40%. And on Facebook... Bradshaw had 45% of the vote. So he really garnered a lot of vote on our Facebook page, 45%. So um, almost, almost another upset. I mean, we could have seen Terry Bradshaw move on to the elite eight. We didn't see, we're not going to see it, but, but it was close. So Peyton Manning, 60 to 40 victory. Uh, Then we move on to the two seeds and we've got John Elway and Warren Moon. Um, Moon was skunked on Twitter, which was interesting because in his first round matchup, he skunked uh, uh, his opponent on both Twitter and Facebook, but he's actually the one getting skunked this time on Twitter. He did garner some vote on Facebook, 33% of it, in fact, but he goes down 71% to 29. John Elway is going to advance. And and then we move on here to the next one, and, and that's the most talked about one. Uh, you know, that we, we had Johnny Unitas Jr. on the show. Um, and that's, that's Johnny, you, the man with the golden arm against Tom Brady and, and Cole, when we started the voting, when the poll started, actually, you know, Johnny, you was running away with this vote and Johnny Unitas Jr. himself casted his vote on it. And, and, and he was running away with it. He had a, a really good lead and we thought we were going to see Unitas take down Super Bowl 51 champ, Tom Brady, but the legions of, of Patriots fans came out and this thing got shared across social media and they were able to, you know, kind of gang up and, and throw votes down on Brady, um, which, you know, in a way is, I, I don't want to say unfortunate because, you know, it is what it is. Tom Brady is a most recent Super Bowl winner. He's got five rings and he's got the, the resume, but you know, the fact that these, uh, Patriots fans, not only did they vote on the matchup between Brady and Unitas, but they went around and put Brady on every other matchup. And so, I mean, it is what it is. Um, it's, it's, it, you know, Brady's going to end up winning this thing 64% to 36. Um, you know, Unitas made a really good run on it on both Twitter and Facebook, garnering a lot of the votes. And like I said, it was looking like he was going to run away with it. Uh, but that's not the case. Tom Brady's going to move on. Um, no real surprise there. I think we kind of predicted that. And then we've got Brett Favre taking on Otto Graham. Um, he ran away with that, 80% to 20%. I think, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Brett Favre, and, and a lot of the voters today are not familiar with Otto Graham. Um, but there's really no uh, surprise there, the two-seed defeating the three-seed in Otto Graham. And then, again, we've got ourselves an upset. In the Sweet 16, uh, that's going to be two upsets total in this contest. 
and Drew Brees, the two seed, taking on Steve Young. Steve Young is actually going to win this thing, 53% to 47, a really close vote. Um, and, and Young was able to barely edge Brees on both sites by one vote. So a total of two votes, that's how close this thing was, is going to send Steve Young into the next round. And so we're going to post the bracket again like we did last week right after the show. We're going to post the matchups right after the show, and you can begin voting on Twitter and on Facebook probably around five minutes after the show is over with today. Um, And so we're down to the Elite Eight, and it's going to be interesting because now we've got the elite of the elite, and it's going to be interesting to see who votes for who and who advances because – we're going to have some really good matchups, including Joe Montana against Tom Brady. And that's the matchup I think everyone's going to be participating in. And that should be interesting to see who can advance in that matchup. Um, Cole, what are, you, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on the Sweet 16 here? Um, I thought that United was going to do it. I was really excited for that because I'm not the biggest Brady fan. Um, but as you know, I texted you about this. I think we should have taken off 15 votes for every Brady vote that wasn't on a Brady picture. And then that would have probably swayed it towards the United for a little bit. But I hope, I'm sure, I'm not saying that they don't listen, but I wonder how many of them listen to this show. But I have a feeling that this is going to continue to where um, these Patriot Brady fans post this stuff all over Patriot Brady fan Facebook pages. And he's probably just going to run away with it. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I guess we don't have a control over. We want to give our listeners a voice and who they think is the greatest quarterback of all time. And I'm sure in some cases there's people who, who voted on this that haven't listened to the show, but we hope that the fact that their voting gets their interest perked and, and maybe they will start listening. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's something that could definitely happen. Uh, it, with it being so recent, there's a lot of passion for Tom Brady and the Patriots, especially up there in the Boston, New England area, which, you know, is, is expected. And and we hope that, you know, the folks up there in New England are, are avid listeners of the show who are participating in the contest. Um, but with that being said, Cole, you know, we, we, we're, we're proud that we're now in over three countries. Um, we're in Ireland, Norway, Canada, and, of course, the United States. So we really appreciate you out there who are listening across the pond and, and are bordering us to the north. Um, we're really excited that we've got uh, the, the listeners that we do, and we're going to continue to grow this thing. We're over um, the thousand mark, and we're we're really appreciative of all of you who are, are taking your time out of your day to listen to the Coach and Cole Show on Blog Talk Radio. We definitely appreciate it. And coming down to the ten minute mark, uh, I just want to touch on the Coach's Corner really quick. Um, this is a little bit of old news, but it's starting to circulate again on social media. Back in January, a girls high school basketball team defeated their opponent 161 to two. They led at the half hundred to zero, um, going into the game, both coaches discussed the, the inevitable outcome. And Aurora Valley is where this was Aurora Valley high school in California 
head coach Michael Anderson, he explained that his girls wanted he wanted to get at least a half of quality time on the floor for his girls. They did that and then some as they didn't pull their foot off the gas into the third quarter. And because of this, Anderson was suspended two games from Aurora Valley High. And, and this is making, like I said, it's, re, it's making the rounds across social media, and that's kind of why I wanted to speak on it. Some people have the mentality that it's not their fault that the other team couldn't stop them and couldn't score. And, and I think that's true. But what, what we've got to take from this is this is really not a way to teach the, the girls on that team about humility, sportsmanship, and integrity. Um, and since, since the event, since the suspension, Coach Anderson had said that he didn't think the suspension was fair. He wasn't in favor of it. At the end of the day, I, I just teach my girls one way, which is to play hard. I know there was no ill intentions. Um, he said he wouldn't have done much differently from the game. And I think that's unfortunate here because uh, I think, you know, he, he said he asked for a running clock. And, and all that. But I think when you get up 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 freaking points, and you've got your starters in the game, I think that's sending the wrong message here, Coach Anderson. And, and all you did here was show your true character. You showed your kids that it's okay to kick someone when they're down. And I, I agree. It's not you or the team's fault that the team you lined up against wasn't as good as you. That's part of the game, understandable. But you could have taken this opportunity to show your kids about class and dignity. You chose not to do that. And the team's 25-2 and two right now, so it's clear they have a talented squad, and, and they're probably going to make a, a nice little run there in California uh, as far as the postseason goes. But you know what? Being a high school coach is about more than just a scoreboard, and you chose the route you chose, and now you're, you're – you didn't learn from it. You're saying that you didn't. You would have done the same exact thing as you did before, and I, I shame on you. I think that's wrong. Um, you know, you chose not to do that, and you showed your true character, and and that's not what high school sports and athletics is all about. So that's the coach's corner, and I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit more. But we're running out of time, like we often do on the show, and right now we're going to close the show with our new segment. And Cole, you've got six minutes to do it. And that's questions for Cole. So let's get right into this thing. Number one, Cole, Kyle Korver became the seventh player in NBA history to make 2,000 three-point shots. Where does he rank all-time as far as three-point shooters go? Uh, Top five. Top five. Okay. Number two, why does Grayson Allen trip people? Because he's an idiot. Okay. Number three, CBS Sports just came out with their list of the 50th great or 50th, the 50 greatest NBA players of all time. Their list is number one, Jordan, number two, James, number three, Wilt Chamberlain. Do you agree or disagree with that? I'll agree with that. Uh, we will elaborate on that next week, though, for sure. I'm making that an executive move, executive decision on that. Perfect. Yeah, we'll look forward to that next week, guys. Uh, we are going to elaborate on CBS Sports' list of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time. Number four, 
we have learned that Packers running back Eddie Lacy has been fined numerous times over his weight problem. A little bit of a weight problem. What should <laughs> the Green Bay Packers do this offseason at running back? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, damn it. I, we talked about this earlier this year. If you're going to give him a contract, give him an incentive-based contract where he gets – he only gets his money if he comes in in shape, plays a certain amount of, of uh, games, a certain amount of yards, a certain amount of touchdowns. I would look somewhere else because uh, we got rid of Starks. We only have Montgomery and Rukowski, basically. Um, I wouldn't be upset at them not getting him on, back on the team, though. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree with you. It's got to be incentive-based. It's got to be something where um, if he's not meeting the weight requirements that they want, that they want something that's a healthy weight for him and a productive weight for him to have in the NFL, then I think that that's something that uh, is going to be, has to be in that contract. And so I think that's where they go. He's obviously a talented running back. He, he's one that, we've, that has shown that he could be a top running back in the NFL, but he's just got to stay on top of his, his health. Um, I agree with that. All right, number five to close out questions for Cole on this glorious February 18th. T.O. said he was better. He was a better wide receiver than Chris Carter. Do you agree? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, a little bit of a different player. Carter was a, a, a really nice possession guy, uh, really great hands, good route runner. Um, and then you've got T.O., who was, uh, you know, again, a decent route runner uh, and, and just an all-around athlete, stud athlete who, who, who made plays. So, so you're, you're, you're agreeing with T.O. there that he was a better player than, than Chris Carter. And did you see, you know, he, was, he, kinda, he kind of attacked Carter saying that he didn't do drugs, and Chris Carter did. So, I mean – while that may be true, uh, what are your thoughts on the comments there from Teal? Well, that's my thing with, like, the Hall of Fame committee not putting him in because of, you know, he was a cancer to the team, blah, blah, blah. Like, he, like we said last week or the week before, whenever it was, if he was a cancer because he wanted the ball, I, I, I'll take that cancer on my team every time. But if, if you're a cancer on the team because you're doing drugs, you're getting in legal trouble, blah, 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 like, I'll, I'd rather take the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't argue that you, you've got to have, a, it, but you know, the locker room thing is an issue. And, and like we spoke on last week, I think T.O. deserves to be in the hall of fame and, and hopefully he gets in next year. That's uh, the five cold questions for this week. And, and we want to thank everyone for joining us here again on blog talk radio, the coach and Cole show. We're at coach and Cole on Twitter. We're at faith.com slash coach and Cole on Facebook Please be on the lookout for the Elite Eight matchups and the greatest quarterback of all time listeners contest. Thank you again to John Unitas Jr. for joining us on the beginning portion of the show. His book is entitled Johnny, You and Me, The Man Behind the Golden Arm. Get on Amazon and order yourself a copy of that book because it'll, it'll be one that you'll be glad you, you did. Um, thanks again to him, and hopefully we can continue this conversation because there's so much to talk about about, about Johnny U and, and just how good he was. Um, I'm at Coach037 on Twitter. Cole's at that King Cole. 715 on 715. Twitter. 
715. Don't forget the 715 following that up because you're going to get a guy with two tweets if you don't. And, again, we want to thank everyone for joining us here on the Coach and Cole Show. I'm the coach. And I am Cole.